Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If you're going to be a tree stand hunter, an elevated hunter of any sort, man, you've got to practice, and you've got to aim for your exit, and you've mm-hmm. got to practice from elevated situation. You can't just sit there and stand on flat ground and shoot all year long and think you're going to go climb up in a tree 20, 25 feet in the air and expect to hit the same spots that you did before. It doesn't work yeah. that way. You got to bend at the waist. You got to you got to realize that just where it looked good on the ground at 25 yards doesn't translate to when you're in the air 25 feet. Oh, you got her, dude. She's down. Let's go. Dude, I just shot a deer of a lifetime. Freaking smoked him. One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. All Obsession Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Fall Obsession Podcast episode. Our podcast is driven by Ridge Rock Hunt Company. And I will talk more about them at the conclusion of our episode. I am Sam. I'm your podcast host. And welcome to part two of The Mental Game. This is an awesome conversation between myself, our Fall Obsession production director, Nick Powell, staff manager, Todd Sellen, and one of our pro staffers, Michael Teepee, as we talk about the mental game and knowing your limits behind archery and bow hunting. I can nerd out for hours on archery and bow hunting, and that's actually what I did here and why this episode is split into two parts. Um, But without further waiting or delay, I'm going to turn it over to part two of that conversation. Y'all tune in. Uh, Compared to your previous one, I I experienced that this, uh, not this season, but the season before. My old rangefinder I've had forever broke, so I had to go get a new one. And all of a sudden, that tree that used to be 21 yards, it's now telling me that it's 20 yards. So... You know, and again, we're talking about small numbers in that, but again, what's that? So it can make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. It can make a huge difference, especially when you're trying to be precise or 
as we get into our the next part of our conversation, as you start shooting long range distance too, that's when it also will make a difference. So mm-hmm. you're talking about sorry, you're talking about limitations, and one thing that popped in my mind is my limitations are um, the limits I put on myself. <laughs> you know, my own personal limits. You know what I mean? Not that I feel like I can't do it. It's just I don't know if I'm confident doing certain things. You know what right. I'm saying? For example, I practice long distance, but I think the longest shot I've ever taken out in the field has been 43 yards. You know, I'm very confident up here at the target because I know it's not going to move. And if Mm -hmm. I miss it, I miss it. Yeah. You know, if I hit it high, I'm not wounding it, you know. Yeah. But if I hit it high out there, I might spine it, for example. And and so I put limitations on myself. Not that I can't do it, but, you know. So, like I said, the limitations that I have are the mental limits that I put on myself and in the confidence. And the confidence I have at the course doesn't always translate out to the field, you know, simply because there are other variables involved. If I hit high on a target, yeah, just means I got a five instead of a eight or a 10 or a 12, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I hit high on a target out here, we could have an animal running, running around wounded with an arrow stuck in them for a while. You know what I mean? You yeah. don't want to do that. Um, and so um, to build that confidence is it's just something that you got to kind of work you got to work it out as the more practice you get you know and so yeah um the, the other thing like i said i just had a conversation with my own colleague about different things that we tried this year and i told him that i started doing that me to get deer to stop like every deer i shot this year i had to do that with and they responded to it in the past if i did that they take off huh. and so like i said just developing that confidence and that not putting that limitation and not doing it because you don't know what's, how the deer is going to respond you know, for me, it was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to do it and see what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it actually worked out this year. And so I started using that more more so this year. So using techniques that you may um, feel a little uncomfortable with, that, those are the limitations. You know, just making sure you get comfortable with those techniques. So. Yeah. Well, that, that yeah. was – go ahead, Nick. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, talking about limitations is um, – one for me is my vision. Uh, my – I have an astigmatism in my right eye, which happens to be my shooting eye, lucky me. Um, And so that's what interests me so much about the single pin is because I do have five pins in my sight and having all of those there seems to affect, you know, if I can see that target in the background even. And so uh, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not the only one that has, has that issue. And I've also been kind of looking into maybe a sight glass or something like a, uh, something that'll a magnifier of some sort. Uh, I've looked into that a little bit. Uh, so that, those are some things that I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna change up this next season. So looking forward to it. Yeah, and that is a good point. Well, sorry, that is a good point, Nick. Because one thing that I did when I switched, so uh, I started looking into CBE and CBE and some of the sponsors that we had. You know, I switched to the Microlight by CBE because it has a light on. It. That was one of the selling features for me simply because I'm pushing 50 now and my eyesight isn't the greatest either. You ask Heather, I can't read this. What does it say? (laughs) But, you know, I find myself, you know, with the best chances out here when I'm hunting, typically right at dark, you know, right as the sun's going down, last light, you know. Absolutely. So I I switched to that CBE micro lights just so I could turn a light on and those pins would would glow a lot longer. They'd be visible a lot longer. So Gotcha. I'll check that out too. Yeah, I would say a tip for you, Nick, um, not having shot a single pin, go down to your local archery shop that will have some that you can look at. doesn't have to be the one you want to buy, okay? But just have single pins that you want to look at 
And really, uh, if they'll let you put on your bow or even just hold it up in front of you like it's on your bow, I would try and see if they have some different size um, pins on there. You know, maybe a 10,000, a 19th, and a 29. Because with your vision, what you're saying is look, all these uh, pins are clouding up what you got going on here. You know, they're they're messing up what you got behind them, yeah. which is the game or the target. Um, sometimes with that single pin coming up from the bottom, I like a smaller pin. I don't have any problems with my eyesight, but I like a smaller pin because it's that much less that's blurring out that object that I'm trying to shoot. Yep. And when you start shooting long ranges, like we're about to talk about, the bigger the pin for me, even a 1900 or 2900 is too big for me when gotcha. I'm shooting long ranges. And I have great eyesight, but I love the 10 because if I can shoot a 10, it gives me more field of view. It doesn't blur out my object and I can see more. So for your own eyes, I would recommend before you just go online and, and, and order something or call your bow shop and have them order something, try them out, see what uh, size looks good. And, you know, look at 50, 60 yards, you know, 100 yards and, and hold it up and see what you think. And like Todd said, definitely get one that has an option for a site if it does or a light if it doesn't already come with a light. Mm. Um, I've been doing more uh, box blind hunting and stuff like that with a bow mm. and arrow. Man, mm. 10, 20 minutes of legal shooting light. I can't even see my pins inside that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It is crazy how dark it gets in there. So if you're not already running a light, which you might be, but for those of you out there that may not run a light, if you're thinking about hunting out of ground blinds, box blinds, anything that gets darker sooner, it's basically a must have. Yeah, I agree with that, especially because our Texas dirt uh, property, that's one of the main things we bow, have, bow hunt out of is is uh, ground blinds. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll definitely look into that. And I want to try out Todd's tip, too, of uh, focusing on the game behind it. But I find I have found with five pins in the in the uh, housing that it's hard to, to focus on the on the game itself. So I have to like I'll open my non shooting eye and see, OK, I'm on the right spot. And then I'll focus in again. And so I think the single pin is going to help me out. Yeah. Well, so you just brought up an interesting point that I just thought of too, in comparing again, going back um, to target versus uh, versus hunting out in the field, you know, you can stare at your spot for a long time. That animal's not going to move. That technique is a lot different. So this is the point I was trying to make baseball versus softball, you know, competitive shooting versus being in the woods. You can stare at your spot forever on the deer, but <laughs> They're going to move. They're going to, you know, you're going to have other animals get in the way. You're going to have maybe the wind changes. Maybe something will have a, a, a branch blows in your way. You know what I mean? And so in staring at that, you still, you, you still stare at your spot, but there's a lot more that you're paying attention to, you know, beside just that one particular spot. And that was the other point I was trying to make with target shooting. You can aim for a, a spot the size of a quarter and stare at it. Really, when you're out in the field, you're looking for a size of about a clay pigeon. You know what I mean? And if you can hit within that clay pigeon, you're in good shape, you know? For Whereas sure. if you hit within a clay pigeon and target, well, you might not score as well. You know what I mean? Right. right. So. Yeah, another another part of that too, regardless of what, what site you're building, to echo what everybody has said as far as, you know, the, you know, go and actually look at these things, look at the pin size and stuff like that. I know even for me, when I do have five five pins in my housing, that bottom pin is that floater, so that's the one that I'm going to shoot long distance with. So I, when I built my site, and I, I went and looked at everything beforehand to know what I wanted, 
But there are two main things that I want. I wanted that bottom pin to be a smaller, a smaller pin size itself. So I, th I think all of my pins are 0.019 or whatever it is, and then that bottom one is a, a 0.01. So it, it's the next smaller size because, to Michael's point, at those longer distances, I don't want my pin covering up as much as what I'm aiming for. The other mm -hmm. thing, and this is unique to me, that I had learned over the years is with multiple different pins and, and colors in my sight housing, I can't see the yellow whenever I am on a deer or a target i can't make because you know most like your classic five pin setup is like green red yellow red green or, or you know something like yeah. that well yeah. that yellow <clears throat> pin wherever it might have been in the in the lineup if i was shooting at something that was a neutral color like the body of a deer i couldn't make out that yellow so that was something that was unique to me and i was like i i have to change that so when i ordered my site i ordered green red green red green that way I can make sure that I had colors that I'd be able to visualize. So with you going to a single pin, you know, also look at, hold a site out there or look at your buddy's site who has green or red pins or yours if you have those colors and see which color might be the best option for you too. And then look at them with a light on as well. Because when you turn that light on, we've all seen it, all of a sudden they're glowing and everything. Yeah. And I have noticed that my reds in my sight glow a whole lot brighter to me, or at least to my eyes, than my green do. So if, I, if I'm if i narrowing it down to one color for me personally, I'm probably going to pick green because I just don't want that massive glow you know, going on in there. I have the different colors so I can di differentiate the distances, but you know, all little things to think about. Find a color that works best with your eyes too, especially if you're going with a single pin. So. Mm. You, you you taking notes? Yeah. <laughs> well, my single pin is a green, and I can adjust it how much light gets through. Yeah, yeah. And so I can dim it way down or brighten it, and you might be able to do the same thing with your multi-pin. But, yeah, mm -hmm. that's just something I wanted to throw out there. Most, most of you can adjust them just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I always wonder sometimes when I turn that light on, because it's so bright, to your point, Sam, I wonder if the deer could see them, you know what I mean? Well, I feel like my deer now it's going to light up the whole woods. So, <laughs> so that's another thing to, to think about, too, because we you don't always practice in those low-light conditions. You know, normally you, you get home from work or something like that, and you relax from it, or then you go whip out your bow before it gets dark, whatnot. But um, practicing in those low lights and practicing with your light on is, is big mm -hmm. in knowing that. Oh, yeah. and, and something as small as, like with my light, um, if I turn it one way, if I turn it forward, it, uh, just barely turns on. And then the farther I turn it, the brighter it yeah. gets. If yeah. I, but it does allow me to turn it the opposite direction. So if I turn it the opposite direction, all of a sudden it's on bright <laughs> immediately right out of the gate. And I don't want that because I, I wonder the same thing too, you know, sometimes, huh, I wonder if I just flick this thing on bright, if that's going to mess anything up, if they're close enough. And I haven't had an experience to tell you one way or the other, I suppose. Right. But um, just for my own eyes too, you know, I, I want just to click forward and that little motion right there is something that I have to practice on. I have to practice in those low light situations and reaching up, turn my light on and building that muscle memory of going forward instead of back, you know, something as small as that. So, you know, and you just brought up a great tip too, by the way, for our listeners here. Um, you want to try to practice, you know, depending on what you're doing, if you're, if you're uh, a target competition shooter, 
obviously you're going to shoot your targets just like you would in competition. You want to practice like what you're preparing for, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And make it as realistic as possible. Um, and that was the point I think you were trying to make here, Sam, in that you want to try to create the conditions as best you can. So again, when we train our bodies and create that muscle memory, we're able to do it regardless of the situation, regardless of the things that we can't control, but we still prepare for those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Low light situation, wind, um, what else? Branches blowing, like I said, in front of you, your reduction of visibility. And if stuff you hunt like from that. a tree stand, an angle, you know, shooting down yeah, at an angle. I could have learned that this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned, that the, I learned that the hard way last year, too. So, Well, when you guys got younger, um, inexperienced hunters that you're around, whether it's a spouse, a kid, uh, you're mentoring to a younger guy or gal that wants to get into hunting, what I found with my wife personally, what has worked for us is I will take her out on the property that she's going to hunt, which is mostly behind the house. I will literally take my Glendale full rut mm -hmm. 3D target. Yeah. She will climb up every one of the tree stands and I will set that deer in one to three different scenarios that were actual hunting scenarios. She'll climb up the tree stand or the shanty, whatever it is, and we'll have her shoot, you know, half a dozen arrows per scenario. And we'll do it like in August, first of September, right before we basically say, okay, no more movement on the you property. Yep. Yeah. I do the exact same thing. I did the yeah, exact same thing. I go out to my stands midday, you know, when I know the deer are settled down and not moving around and just throw a, throw a, throw a target out in the field and I'll sit up in my stand and just shoot a few arrows and, you know, rotate to the different stands around our property and do that same thing. Yeah. Again, trying to recreate that, that realism, you know. Another. Yeah, it's not always realistic for everyone. You know, you might right. live an hour from where you hunt. So we're not saying that it's realistic for everyone. But when it is, do it. And then obviously there's 3D ranges and and uh, 3D shoots. A lot of people have within an hour of their house that have uh, tower blinds and stuff like that. So you can get used to shooting elevated. But if you're going to be a tree stand hunter, an elevated hunter of any sort, man, you've got to practice and you've got to aim for your exit. And you've mm -hmm. got to practice from elevated situation. You can't just sit there and stand on flat ground and shoot all year long and think you're going to go climb up in a tree 20, 25 feet in the air and expect to hit the same spots that you did before. It doesn't work yeah. that way. You got to bend at the waist. You got to you got to realize that just where it looked good on the ground at 25 yards doesn't translate to when you're in the air 25 feet and you're mm -hmm. shooting at 25 yards. It's yep. a totally different ball game. Mm -hmm. So for the novice guys and gals that are out there, do do your due diligence. Put the extra time in. That's going to make you more successful in the fall. Yeah. Another thing I thought of too, just in the in the preparing yourself and, you know, during the off season and everything is is one thing that I've tried to do that's applicable to kind of the time we're in right now. You know, because it seems like, you know, through the summer, through the off-season, everybody will practice. Obviously, we, we try to stay sharp, and then we're hunting actually out there in the woods, you know, during the season. But it's like right now, right after the season ends, I know a lot of guys that kind of, they back off a little bit. They take a break, you know, and, and, and rightfully so. Not saying there's anything wrong with that. But, and I'm saying this because I do it. But one thing that I like to try to do when I'm getting back into it, when it's like, all right, it's time to, it's time to, turn it back on and get back in the practice, you know, not August, like early in the, in the year, you know, be prepared. Um, but the first few times that I go out and shoot, I'll spend the first five or 10 minutes shooting. I'll put my target at five yards where mm -hmm. distance range pins doesn't matter. And all I will do 
is shoot for muscle memory at that yep. point. I I will I'll draw back, I'll make sure I'm pointing at my target obviously. I want to be safe, but then I'll before I settle in, I'll close my eyes. I'll close my eyes, I'll settle in, and I'll work on my release. My release is a big one for me because back in the day I had a bad habit of punching my punching my trigger, especially when I switched to a thumb release. So I, I don't want to fall back in that habit, so I'll work on my release and then also just start rebuilding that muscle memory in my mind on where my anchor points are. What does it feel like when I get to full draw and everything's locked in? you know? And I won't do that the whole time. Like I said, just five or ten minutes just to start each time that I'm going out there shooting. And I won't do that the whole year either. It's just after that end-of-season break that some guys fall into, myself included, that's mm-hmm. one of the ways that I'll bring myself back out of that to to just hammer those things back into my mind. So that's, that's a great point. I heard a, um, uh, a pretty good analogy years ago about how it takes over a thousand shots to train your muscles to exactly, or a thousand repetitions mm-hmm. to train your muscles to do exactly what you want, want them to do, but it only takes one week to lose that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's one true. week off to lose that. So to your point, like you said, you're retraining those muscles every time you pick up. I'm same thing. I'm in that situation right now. I haven't shot my bow since the end of bow season. You know what I mean? Because we've been going through rifle season and so on and so forth. Once January got here, I took some time off. You know what I mean? And so today I just started looking at um, shoots that there's one today I could have went to, but next week I'm going to, going to, uh, to a shoot here. I'll do the same thing. So um, right now it's a little trickier to get outside and shoot because we're it's cold and it's snowy now. The winter finally hit. But, um, you know, prior to that, you know, if, if – Usually, if it's not snowy, I'll throw a target out and and get out there and shoot before. So, yeah. uh, you know, because I haven't shot in a while, when I go to the shoot, I'll make sure I get there early and, and do the things that you talked about. Try to retrain my muscles in a short period of time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, because a lot of that will come back. You know what I mean? But you won't be at the point that you were go- going into hunting season because you shot so much leading up to it. So Yeah. yeah. Well, and we call that blind bailing uh, from wow. where I'm from you know, where you just literally draw back and shoot without looking and, you know, you're within five yards. And I used to have to do that a lot when I had target panic. Yeah. Um, my pin would get close to where I wanted to hit, freak out. Um, I used to come up, I'd try coming up from the bottom. I'd punch it, I'd shoot low. Come up from the top, I'd punch it, I'd shoot high. And so I not only was I punching the trigger, but I was getting target anxiety, you know, where I was getting target panic when I'd get that pin on there. If I didn't have my finger in front of the, the trigger, I could sit there with the pin on there all stinking day long right there in that 12 ring or the five spot, whatever you're shooting at. But as soon as my finger was in front of the trigger, I had this anxiety where I had to just I had to smash it. Yeah. And I, I had, I bet you I blind bailed for months and I, I probably shot thousands of arrows to try and break that. And anytime it starts to creep back up, I go right back to it. And it just doesn't take as much extra work now to, to get over it. Yeah. Yeah, to that point, a unique thing I've had to I learned this about myself back when I shot competitively and I don't I don't really even know. I'm probably a little bit better at it, but I still deal with it from time to time is I can't pull up on a shot. If I if I end up with my pin below my target, for whatever reason, I have 9 times out of 10 I have a mental block in my mind and I cannot pull up. I have to let down, reset, redraw, shoot again. So, in knowing that about myself, I've Maybe this isn't the best thing. Maybe I should have tried to address the problem a little bit more directly, but I ended up just 
making a habit of coming down on my target from above. Not I'm not sky drawn by any means, but starting above my target and bringing it down into my target and then executing my shot from there. And it's worked for me. Um, maybe, maybe that'll be my project this year. Maybe I'll try to break my, break my habits a little bit more, but I mean, it's, you know, we all have those intricacies that are unique to each one of us that we deal with and that we have to overcome. So I'm 100, the exact same, 100% the exact same as you, Sam. I can't, if I'm below, I can't lift up. I just can't do it. I'm either going to shoot low and miss or let down, like you said. And like I said, I became a better, better shooter when I learned that, you know, your hands are going to follow your eyes, stare at that point of your target, and I'd have to start up. And as soon as my arrow would hit that point I'm staring at, or my, I'm sorry, my, my pin would hit that point I'm staring at, I, I'd release my arrow. Um, and, you know, there are times that I get target, uh, uh, you know, I get shooters panic, but uh, for the most part, I became a really, really good shooter um, just based on staring at the spot I want to hit and coming from the top down. And like I said, as soon as my pin hit that arrow, I'd, I'd release. If I didn't shoot when that pin hit the area, it would keep going lower, and then I was in trouble because I can't lift back up. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, over the years, I've actually gotten myself um, to the point where I've tried coming up from the bottom, did the same thing you guys are talking about, would shoot low almost every time, or I would yank up when I'd shoot, and I'd shoot high. Yep, and so that's um, Or I'd come from the, from the top, same thing. Uh, how I personally broke it was now I will set my pin on the target where I want to hit before I come to full draw. And then when I come back to full draw, that pin is really close to where I want it. And so there's just a slight little adjustment one way or the other. And at first, what was difficult about that was my, my mind would tell me, shoot, 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 because your pin's where you want it. And I had to just tell myself over and over and over again, you don't have to shoot. You don't have to shoot. Take your time. Yeah. And so that's really worked good for me, even when I'm shooting deer or I'm shooting a target. I will actually set my pin where I want it before I come to full draw. Mm-hmm. I, I don't shoot too many pounds where I have to sky draw. I shoot enough poundage that I can just do a straight yeah. draw even in the dead of the winter. And so that's really worked for me. And I mean, everybody's got a different way, but you got to figure out what way works best yeah. for you. Absolutely. Well, I know we are, we're diving deep into our time here today as far as how long we're going, but there's one more thing I wanted to be sure that we hit. Um, and, and we've, we've almost gone there a couple of times throughout our conversation today, but we haven't fully committed. And that was, uh, talking about more long distance shooting and everything. And, um, I know Todd, you mentioned something a little while, a little bit longer ago about how you practice out to certain distances, longer ranges, but then at the end of the day, there's there's a cert, another level of what realistically you might you probably are more than likely going to shoot a deer at or with under. Um, and then coincidentally, Michael, I think in our last podcast several weeks ago, we kind of touched briefly on the essentially the same concept as well about mm-hmm. how there's these long distances we practice to. So um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to everybody about kind of kind of your mindset behind that and um todd we'll we'll start with you but the you know where do you practice out to what is your realistic range that you would kill a deer in Mm -hmm. and then answer answer the questions of one why and then two if that's your range that you kill a deer in then why bother because i'm sure there we all may know but i'm sure there's people who are asking the question so 
Um, a couple different things. First, first of all, I, I feel really comfortable 40 yards and in. You know, that's where I spend the majority of my time practicing because that's typically where you're getting your shots. Um, here, it's usually 30 yards and in right on top of us. If it's not 30 yards and in, they're usually out further. You know what I mean? You're right. talking 50, 60, 70 yards. Um, and so I practice longer distances because the mature bucks, the, this year was a, was, a, was a pretty big exception because I had him at five yards, you know, at one point. Um, but typically the big bucks that I've had come in always get hung up around 50, 55, 60 yards. And so, and then I never have another opportunity, you know, I'll see them, but then they're out a hundred, 200, 300 yards. And, you know, I can't get them in, in range close enough to where I feel okay shooting a bow. And so I practice out to about 60 yards, not only that, but, um, you know, we're working on right now, you, you guys know that we're working on, um, trying to get an elk hunt, muley hunt in Colorado in 2024. And I know yep. shooting elk, shooting muley, those are longer distances. So I've got to, I, I, I practice that to try to get, get better at, you know what I mean? Yeah. I know out at longer distances that I can hit the spots that I want to hit. However, I'm not confident enough when I'm in the field because my groupings aren't as tight at 50, 60 yards as they are at 40 yards and in, for example. Right. You know what I mean? And so, um, and I know longer distance too, the smallest mistake could be the difference. It can make a huge difference on how far over, up or down your arrow hits. You right. know what I mean? And so, I mean, it could be just a matter of that. And now your arrow is completely off or maybe you're spining or hitting that fatty tissue in the brisket or something like that you know what i mean yeah and so yeah so i practice longer distances because out here it seems like the mature bucks always get hung up at longer distances so um i still haven't pulled a pulled the trigger on one yet but i'm you know, i'm getting closer to it you know like i said we had mr elke a couple years ago first time i saw him mr elke was the one that my daughter named um he was hung up at 52 yards and i had practiced out, out to that point but i thought ah I don't want to wound him. This was like, this was like the second day of bow season. I didn't want to wound him in front of my daughter for one, right. you know, wound him in general because I didn't want this big, big guy running around, you know, the rest of the season wounded. Um, but at that point it was pretty evident that I needed to start practicing at longer distances more often. So Michael, what about you? Yeah. So, um, over the years, it's obviously, uh, my distances that I practice at and feel comfortable taking a, a shot at a wild animal have increased as technology has increased, as the bow equipment has increased, as my knowledge has increased, and I would say mostly equipment, um, you know, to try and compare today's archery equipment to even 10, 20 years ago. It's, yeah. it's not exactly the same. Maybe 10 years ago is close, but uh, the equipment is just so oh my gosh, so advanced, and it's actually set up very well for, for the long-range shooter. Uh, not necessarily the long-range hunter, but the long-range shooter. And um, ever since I started going out west in 2015, I put a big emphasis that summer uh, before my first elk hunt out in Colorado that I needed to be able to shoot longer ranges. Not only is an elk a way bigger target than your standard whitetail here in the Midwest, but I knew there was a possibility I'm not going to get a 20, 30 yard realistic shot like you do in the whitetail woods. Uh, a lot of running gun and a lot of spot and stalking. Maybe you're trying to call them in. And so, um, you know, I did some research and, and I practiced a lot that year in 15 at 100 yards. Um, one never took a shot at 100 yards at, at an elk, even at that big of a kill zone, but that's when it started for me. Back in 2015 is when I started 
shooting 100 yards plus every single off season, getting ready for, for hunting out west is how it started. Um, I fell in love with it. Uh, it became so much more challenging to shoot out past 80 yards that um, I craved it. I guess that's the way to say it. I craved that um, attention to detail that was that was needed to be able to be uh, accurate at that type of distance, even with today's technology. Uh, the slightest movement, you're off by 6, 8, 12 inches, mm-hmm. not even a problem. Um, so once I, I got more uh, efficient at those longer ranges, it was just – more thrilling, more exciting during the off season. Sometimes, you know, you, how many times you want to punch a target at 20 yards in the off season, 30 yards in the off season, slapping arrows. Next thing you know, I'm Robin Hood and tearing fletchings off. <laughs> Talk on it. This isn't exciting. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited because I got a tight group, but I don't really want to have to make another trip to the archery shop if I don't have to. And so, you know, I just started just shooting further. And now uh, I know, like we said in the podcast before, uh, this year in particular, I wasn't going out west in the in the fall of 22, and so all season, 60 to 80 yards was my off season. I I yeah. rarely shot inside of 60. Uh, I will right before season just to make sure everything's buttoned up and that you know something didn't get bumped by any chance. So I will go through and shoot 20, 30, 40 all the way out. Um, my effective killing range has usually been half of what I feel comfortable at when I'm shooting a target. So if I feel very comfortable shooting a target at hundred yards, then I feel pretty comfortable shooting a target, an animal at 50 yards. Now, granted, every scenario is different and the deer are very jumpy. Doesn't mean I'm going to take a 50 yard shot every time I see a deer, but I have the confidence to make that 50 yard shot. If the stars align, it doesn't mean I'm going to force the envelope and just start wounding animals. Yeah. just because I can hit a target at a hundred yards. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, just like this last year, I, like we just talked about, I shot, uh, I shot one at 32 yards. I shot one at, at 45 yards. I shot a doe at like 21, 22 yards, all with archery equipment, all quick, clean kills. Um, like I said before, that 45 yard shot would not have taken place this year if I had not spent all off season at 60 and 80 yards. There's no way. Um, uh, I don't care if I was shooting at 50 yards. If I would have been shooting at 50 yards all off season, I would have not taken a 45 yard shot. I don't care if I was 12 ring and ever shot at 40 at 50. Um, I would not have the confidence to draw that bow back and make it happen. That's me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've killed several deer, mule deer and whitetail between 41 and 75 yards with my bow equipment. Um, it's not something I pride myself in, but at the same time, it is nice to be able to draw your bow back and feel confident in the shot before you take it. Um, my, my biggest mule deer that I shot out in Nebraska in 2020, he wouldn't be on the wall right now if I could shoot 75 yards. Yeah. Uh, that's all there's to it. Um, but I felt confident. I knew I was going out West that year. I spent a lot of time shooting between hundred and 120 yards religiously, barely ever stepped inside of a hundred. Um, so that's what works for me, but I think everybody has to figure out what's their own capable, uh, Mm -hmm. limits and a lot of it's mental, but when you can see yourself consistently shoot long distances accurately and efficiently, you become more confident. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Nick, we'll throw it to you. 
Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it <clears throat> has to do with what you are hunting, you know, and I, I kind of fall in the category that Todd, Todd does. A lot of my shots are going to be 20, 25, maybe 30 yards. I know all of the ground blinds that we have out in Texas dirt are 30 around 30 yards. Um, and so, and also it comes with your equipment. Like my, uh, I have a fixed pit, a fixed five pin site. And so my furthest one is 60 yards. And so that's, that's as far as I practice. That's as far as I'm comfortable. Um, but I'm, I'm probably not going to take a shot anywhere further than 40. Yeah. Um, and so that's just a lot of the times that's where I'm practicing. Cause I know that's realistic and what I'm going to be shooting in the field, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to practice at 60 because if I practice at 60, that 20 yard shot's going to be cake. And so, uh, I do, and I, I, I don't consistently practice at 60, but if I get a wild hair one day when I'm out back, you know, I'll go, I'll shoot it. I'll throw a couple at 60, but most of my practice is going to be anywhere from 20 to 40. And, and that's just where I stay. That's yeah. where I'm comfortable. Yeah, I think all y'all have hit the hit the nail on the head with that. I know I the farthest I've ever shot a a whitetail at I think was forty eight. Uh I, I did shoot a doe at forty eight yards one time. Uh it it was in I especially back in those days I probably shouldn't have shot. It was probably more luck than anything back in that day. But um and then after that uh, the farthest one I've killed an animal at was my my pronghorn. I shot him at 42. So those are the only two animals I've ever killed at 40 plus. Everything else has been under that. And then this year, the farthest shot that I that I took and killed an animal at was uh, 25 yards this year. And to y'all's points, I practice out to 100. Like that that's that's where I that's where I put my goal and set my goal, especially after Montana. Not because I'm going to shoot a deer at that range in Texas, but because if I can make shots at that range, then the 20, 30 yard shots here in Texas, if I miss, it's because I'm an idiot in my opinion. You know, it's because I, it's because I messed up, but flip that over, you go out West, it's a different ball game. You know, you a hundred yards might be the closest you get. And I know that from year two in Montana and I, I've told, I'll make the story short. I've told it before on the podcast, but long story short, the closest I got to a giant shooter buck was 120 yards. And I had that thought in my mind on, hmm, I'm good at 100. I know I am. I could throw it out there and see what happens. But the smart hunter got the better of me, thankfully. and was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to just wing one like that at this range. Yeah. So, but all that, I, I really think that the longer, the farther out you practice, it makes you better at the short distances and just to put that nail in the coffin with the with the reassuring myself i'll shoot at 60 70 80 yards and then sometimes every once in a while before i pack it up and i'm done for the day i'll throw a couple at 20 and just watch it or 30 and just watch them sink real quick exactly mm-hmm. where i want just to build that reassurance in my own mind that i got this we're good to go you know, and, and I think that, that at least for me, that's part of just building that mental reassurance and confidence that I need to know that the shots that I'm going to have 90% of the time are good to go. Real world, I'm probably, especially on Texas dirt, 40 yards is probably the farthest I'm ever going to shoot a whitetail at. And even then, like I've had this year, every deer that I killed, which not a lot, but some, <laughs> they, uh, they were at 40 yards at one point in time and give me a shot opportunity, but I didn't. I had no interest in shooting them at that range because I'm going to let them settle into my area. 
I have a food source, I'm gonna let them settle in, and then I'll take my time with my shot to make the shot that I wanna make, so. It's funny, because we brought this full circle. You yeah, know? we did. You, you talked about limitations, and the limitations that you were talking about was kind of what I was alluding to earlier with the mental limitations that you yeah. put put on yourself. You know you can make that shot, but that confidence isn't there to do it do yeah. it out in the woods, you know? Not that you can't do it physically, but that confidence just isn't there, so you, you become hesitant to do it out in the field, so. Yeah. Man, yeah, I, I, it is funny that we come full circle with that, but it, it is all tied together, and I, I think that we, that we, ha- this has been a really outstanding discussion about all this stuff, and we've hit mm-hmm. a lot of valuable topics. But at at the end of the day, it's it's not that we're talking about this because there's a right or wrong answer to to any of this. A lot of it is unique to to a shooter. The equipment that they have, we didn't dive into a whole lot of equipment specifics other than the site but um the equipment that they have but then you as a shooter you know you you have everybody has their own limitations and mm-hmm. it's it's up for you to play your own mental game so yeah perfect point yeah and i think one one more thing that needs to be touched on is we are going to have our limitations and we're going to try and improve those as much as we can throughout the year by practicing repetitions and getting out there and, and knowing our equipment, but there's always, we are hunting wild animals and there's always that, that chance that they're going to duck, they're going to move, they're going to take a step. And so as much as we practice, they're, they're still going to, there's still that chance that something's going to go wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we all practice and we all, I, I'm 100% confident saying the four of us sitting here all have a very, a very high sense of reassurance in our own mind that, that, we we are solid bow bow hunt bow hunters and archers and i don't i don't mean that to sound arrogant but i we it wouldn't be right for us to talk about this if if we didn't have a, a level of confidence and experience behind it but every single one of us sitting at this in this conversation we've all missed we're all gonna miss again it it nobody is perfect and we are not we are not we are not experts by any means we will never be experts it, it's it's not there's not an end goal to this it's a journey and the journey is where it takes you so it's funny Absolutely. because you guys all brought up a great point that it's up to the individual shooter to develop the feel and their own technique and that sort of thing too and that kind of brings me back to when i used to coach um you know baseball i tell you know i tell people all the time if they if, if i had a hitter that was batting 500 but had the absolute worst technique, you know what? I don't care what his technique looks like because his outcome was was very productive. Same thing. If you develop a feel for shooting your bow, you might not have the best t- technique, but if it's successful and it's good for you, you need to go with it. Just like equipment. People ask me, what type of bow should I get? I'm like, well, first of all, I say, hey, you have to get elite. You got to try the elite. <laughs> <laughs> and then I say, but in the end, you got to find one that fits you. What's comfortable for you? Same thing with shooting. Yeah. Develop your own techniques. Develop that comfort level um, to make yourself more successful as a shooter. Absolutely. Any closing closing thoughts, gentlemen, before we uh, conclude it? All right. Well, I greatly appreciate all y'all taking the time to sit down and, and talk with this. This has been an awesome podcast. And honestly, I think the four of us could probably sit here for three or four more hours if the wives would let us and talk about all this stuff. But that's probably not going to happen today. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll get another group together to, 
to follow it up with another one at some point. But for now, for our listeners, thank you all for listening, for watching the video, if that's what you're doing. If you have not already, hit that follow and subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Follow Obsession Podcast is on all major podcast platforms. We are on Carbon TV, Waypoint TV, and our YouTube channel is where you can find the podcast videos. On that YouTube channel, be sure you uh, like, subscribe, turn on notifications, all that good stuff, because we post a lot of cool videos. Um, social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Go Wild, TikTok now. We're on there too, Fall Obsession Media on TikTok. But uh, go follow, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Um, we post daily on those platforms. FallObsession.com is the hub. It's where you guys can go to find all of our content, all of our media series, podcasts, gear reviews, wild game recipes, all of our gear and apparel, which all I think all of us in some form or fashion are rocking something. So um, mm-hmm. head on over there and check it out. We just got some uh, some hats back in stock and everything. So want to get those out to you all. So go pick you one up. Um, Ridge Rock Hunt Company, that's the hat Nick has on. They are the podcast partner. Derek and Lacey over there. Uh, Mississippi, they book hunts with vetted outfitters across the country. They got uh, 50 or 60 plus outfitters in their network at this point. They've been growing that brand for a couple years. But um, if you are looking to book that once in a lifetime hunt you've been saving up for, that uh, adventure experience that you want to go on, you've been looking forward to, give Derek a call. He talks to you about location, time frame, licensing, opportunities, all that kind of stuff. Really easy guy to talk to and get to know. So head on over and check out Ridge Rock Hunt Company. Gentlemen, thank you all again. We'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pleasure's all mine. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening. We're back again next week, as always, for another Fall Obsession podcast episode. I have to say it because Todd's sitting here. Stay obsessed. That's right. Stay obsessed. <laughs>